As a startup brand owner, you're already wearing many hats. Product developer, packaging designer, logistics expert, and customer service representative, just to name a few. And if that wasn't enough, you still need to get your products in front of the right retail buyers. That's where RangeMe comes in. RangeMe empowers retail buyers to quickly and easily discover innovative products like yours, providing brands with unparalleled visibility to these influential buyers 24-7, 365, while you are hard at work on all your other tasks, even while you sleep. And the best part? RangeMe is integrated into the eCRM product offering, which complements RangeMe's broad digital reach with highly curated face-to-face meetings. Together, they offer unmatched engagement opportunities for startup brands. Join RangeMe today and watch your products take center stage. It's free to set up a basic profile, and we have a special premium subscription offer for Startup CPG members that includes three eCRM face-to-face meetings with buyers. Visit rangeme.com slash startup CPG to learn more. That's rangeme.com slash startup CPG. Tired of getting crushed by chargebacks each time your brand sells product? From dealing with hundreds of forms that all look different to fighting tooth and nail to get repays, managing deductions is tough work, and you're almost certainly leaving money on the table. Fortunately, there's a solution. Florette was built to help brands like yours. With Florette's software platform, you can automate your deductions workflow, get insight into your trade spend, and even have your deductions disputed for you. Whether you're a scrappy young brand trying to get into retail or an established supplier looking to get sharper on trade, Florette will put money back in your pocket. Startup CPG listeners can visit tryflorette.com slash startup CPG to sign up for Florette's free 2023 deductions audit, which gives brands visibility into what all their deductions were actually for. That's tryfloret.com slash startup CPG to get your free 2023 deductions audit. Sign up today. It's often the case that your first product is rarely the one that leads you across the finish line that becomes your most successful. You start in one place and you just have to keep iterating. You have to listen to the market, listen to the consumer. And if you're lucky, you iterate towards a place where you get that traction. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. We have a really special episode today. Seth Goldman is back on the show. Over the past couple of years, Seth has come on the show a number of times for what we called the Pure Gold series to talk field marketing, sustainability, trade show tips, and even an Ask Seth Anything. I'll link a playlist in the show notes with all our episodes with Seth because they're all so fun, full of wisdom, and we're very popular. Seth is co-founder and chief change agent of Eat the Change. Seth is also the co-founder of Plant Burger, which was just named in the top 10 restaurants for vegans by USA Today. He's the co-founder of Honest Tea, which you probably already know, and chair of the board of Beyond Meat. Last time Seth was on the show, Eat the Change had just launched Just Ice Tea, and now the teas are available in over 5,000 stores, which I'm especially grateful for since I love the berry hibiscus tea and want to be able to buy it everywhere. It was so fun to have Seth back on the show to be able to catch us all up. Listen in as Seth shares about... Just Ice Tea's fast growth and how the experience compares to growing Honest Tea, Eat the Changes team setup and the importance of good partners, how trade spend and field marketing support Just Ice Tea growing in stores, updating the packaging on Cosmic Chews to better connect with consumers, how the team decided to discontinue Eat the Changes' first product, Mushroom Jerky, 
Eat the Change's recent $14 million raise and the 10-year anniversary of Seth and Barry's graphic novel, Mission in a Bottle, and more. Make sure to stay until the very end because Seth drops great insights on leadership and mental health and how to prioritize as an entrepreneur or pulled in so many different directions. Hi, Seth. Welcome back to the show today. I am so excited to have you back here and to catch up. How are you today? I'm great, Jesse. It's nice to reconnect. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it has been a while. I was looking back through my notes on the last time you had come on the show, and it was over a year ago. We had chatted like right after the Coca-Cola decision, and then we chatted again less than a, two weeks after the decision to launch Just Iced Tea. So there's so much to catch up on, which I'm very excited about. Feels like it was a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I'd love to start out by if you could catch us up a little bit on Just Ice Tea, because that's where we've left the podcast listeners. And so I'm curious about how is Just Ice Tea going? How many stores are the teas in now? Yeah, would love to hear more about what's happening. Yeah, a lot has happened. So a year ago, we were just launching in Whole Foods. Uh, we had already launched in Sprouts and then we uh, Whole Foods was next. And we launched chain-wide in Whole Foods. And, and then with that, really started to penetrate the larger natural food, I don't call it universe, but <laughs> the sector. And as we speak today, we're distributed, I'd say, an ACV of around 69% into the natural foods channel, which is, you know, is good. Yeah. Are the top selling brand in Whole Foods, top selling tea brand in Whole Foods and Sprouts. And we're now uh, starting to expand into more mainstream channels as well. So uh, we'll do, in terms of dollars, uh, around $16 million in sales this year, gross sales. Uh, and the other notable development is that we have discontinued our mushroom jerky. So I think when you and I spoke last year, that was the larger part of our business because we had been in the tea business and, and now it's been eclipsed. And so our product lines are the Just Ice Tea, you know, which is over 90% of our business. And now our carrot snacks, we've actually just redesigned the packaging for that. So we're still committed and believers in that product line. Uh, and that is going back into the market with a new design. Excellent. Thank you for the update. There's lots <laughs> to dig into there for sure. On Just Ice Tea with the revenue numbers you mentioned, and I know that time adjusts the dollar values, but I'm curious for you, what would be a comparison for how long it took oh, Honest Tea to get yeah. to this type of level? Yeah, it's about seven or eight years into Honest Tea's history. We were in about 5,000 stores, um, you know, primarily natural channel. But we're also, we have now launched with Big Geyser, our distributor in New York City, as well as with Canada Dry, the Mid-Atlantic uh, distributor network for that market. And so those kind of yardsticks, you know, took honesty quite a while to get to. And, you know, we were able to, to leapfrog a lot of the earlier part of the distribution channel, you know, and, and rather than... You know, we had a real patchwork we had built with Honesty, and so we're able this time to just go, I'd say, right to the, the premier partners. And that's certainly been beneficial for the brand and, and for our efforts, more effective launching. Yeah. What has it looked like to scale so quickly in comparison from the yeah. past between hiring and manufacturing? Yeah. I'm curious what it's yeah. looked like to scale so fast. And is there anything you've had to be careful of with scaling so fast? It's certainly more expensive, right? Because in a way, we've compressed 
condensed or condensed lots of the growth that, you know, was stretched over seven or eight years. So, you know, there's been a lot of trade spend, a lot of allowances and discounts we had to expend in order to get up and running with partners. And, and so that's been unwelcome, but, you know, I'd say real. On the other hand, what's been welcome is a lot of that growth can be really challenging. And so it's obviously welcome that the product is moving more quickly off the shelf. I think with Honest Tea, you know, we had by seven, year seven or eight, we certainly were in 5,000 accounts, but we, we weren't seeing the same kind of velocity. So that's really been beneficial now. Uh, and of course, one of the big reasons we've been able to do all this is because we have a team that is experienced and, and frankly has done it before. They did it with Honest yeah. Tea, a lot of them. So they knew exactly, especially with Honest Tea leaving the marketplace, they knew exactly how to, to execute and capitalize on that the void that was being created by Honest Tea. So that's been really gratifying. And I think the other thing I'll say, because I've certainly been able to stay in touch with the different partners, whether it's the bottling plants or the distributors, and I, I just have a, a higher level of appreciation for all the partners. I think the first time around, I was probably a little too scared or just tense or nervous to really appreciate them. And so this time around, you know, I'll have a, a longer conversation with a partner just about life and just really appreciate what they're doing. And it's just been more joyful. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting insight to really savor the relationships along yeah. the way a little bit more this time. And I know you did so much work too. We talked about last time you were on the show, one of the big points you made was around the karma of what comes back to you. And and yeah. it sounds like you're continuing to, to see that trend of the good relationships uh, that you yeah. built, continuing to build on them. Very much so. And and I just, damn, I feel a lot of gratitude. And, you know, I think, you know, as weird as the world is these days with all the tension and just kind of irrational stuff happening, it's just nice to feel like you've got people you work with who you trust and value and appreciate. And I just, I don't take any of that for granted. Yeah. I'm curious, can you share with us about the setup of the team at Eat the Change in anything that's had to shift to support just iced tea? But I'm curious about how, how you have set up the team at this point, what it's looking like. Yeah. So, you know, we have sales leaders who some focus on the natural channel, some focus on mainstream channels. And then we have some area managers. They're, I would say, more junior, but they're out in the trade, really going store to store, building displays or helping to uh, secure the cooler space. That's just so critical for us. A beverage like ours needs to be consumed cold and in the right stores in the right place is important. Our marketing team is lean. We just have a few folks. And so we're um, doing a lot of it ourselves, whether it's the social media or the public relations or sort of working with some designers who we've worked with in the past, good partners there. And then on the operations side, again, pretty light. Uh, we have just a few folks handling, you know, logistics and ordering and procurement. What This time around, we don't have a CFO. We did, we did that at Honest Tea. This time around, we just work with an outside accounting firm and we're able to, uh, because we have uh, NetSuite, which is a very comprehensive software, we're able to get useful financial statements, but not having to do as much data entry. So that's that's a positive thing. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. So it's it's a relatively lean team. We have about just under 30 people. And you know, our expectation is we should be able to grow next year without hiring any major new senior folks. We'll add some more people on the ground in certain markets, but still trying to keep it lean. Yeah. Oh, that's super helpful to 
hear how everything's set up. And I'm also curious, it plays a little bit into hiring. And then also you mentioned trade spend before. I'm curious if you can share about what the strategy has been and will be in promoting the product. Are you using field marketing in addition to trade spend? What did you learn from last time around? And what are you learning now about the best ways to help the product move on the shelves? Because you mentioned it's moving so well. Yeah, I've always been a believer in demos. Like for our product, which has that different taste and is a a values-based product, we always want to try to make that personal connection with our consumers. So that's really important. The trade spend that happened last year, so much of it was like we had to move quickly to grab that shelf space. So we definitely did more promotions on price than we normally would, or we wanted to be, you know, on display in a in a new chain when we're just landing. So we're cutting back on that. We're certainly going to do some targeted promotions with some retailers, but we won't be just giving, you know, and the way these guys work, like UNFI and Kehi, there's sort of a required advertising period where you have to be on promotion. And those are just painful introductory periods there. You, you just, I don't want to say giving product away, but you're, you're certainly not making any money, but it's part of the cost of doing business to get up and running with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. In the past, when we've had you on the show, you've talked about kind of seasonal field marketing. Is that still the the strategy of summertime is the big focus. We had a great crew of interns this summer. They just did a fantastic job of introducing the product to people. And, And so we keep a leaner team on through the year. They'll shift more maybe to food service. November, December are not popular months to sample iced tea in a grocery store. They got their pumpkin yeah. spice and eggnog going, but but we'll we'll shift to food service focus and supporting other chains as where we're new. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, your episode with us on field marketing and demos is one of our most popular episodes. I'll make oh, sure to link it in nice the show know. notes because folks have really appreciated learning from that. So it's exciting to hear that you're continuing that strategy with the teas as well. And it's funny because every once in a while there'll be a um, question. Well, how do you? What's the financial return on that? And it's like I, I, I can't give you an exact number. I do know if it's successful, there's a tail on it. Meaning it's not just what you sell in the store that day. It's you know how many people you introduce the brand to, how many ongoing consumers you create as a result of doing that. So yeah, has there been any big insights or learnings from the field marketing team and the interns this summer that were out in the field? Yeah. I mean, we're always getting feedback on packaging, on taste profiles. We always want to try to gauge, do people know about this brand? How aware are they about our history with respect to honesty? And so that kind of feedback is really helpful just to understand like, oh, okay, well, we learned that when the consumer understood this was from the founders of Honesty, that was a meaningful point of reference. So we started creating a point of sale that say from the founders of Honesty. You know, we want to help mm-hmm. them make that connection, even if we're not in the store doing it. So uh, we get a lot lot of guidance and insight from talking to the consumer so much. Yeah, that's interesting. And I assume that you did so much work all those years to build consumer awareness around tea and there wasn't as many teas in the stores. Now there are other options. People have more awareness. Has it been interesting to connect with consumers again in a different market and environment for tea? Yeah. I mean, one thing that's really surprised me is how few glass bottled teas there are. And so it's weird. You think about the world and where people are always concerned about plastic. And then you look at the shelf and there's all these plastic bottles of tea. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why? No, I understand not everybody, but why wouldn't somebody be offering a glass bottle of tea? And 
ironically, it's actually less competitive now if you're a glass bottle tea. And I was just, you know, I'm still very much want to get out into the trade. So this past week I was in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, working with our new distributor there. And um, yeah, I'd go into several accounts and they'd say, yeah, oh, I, I've always, you know, I've been looking for a glass bottle tea. They didn't even taste the product. They just want a glass bottle tea on the shelf. So I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> give them a sample. But um, yeah, that that's, you know, interesting. It's as a, just a competitive difference, one of many. Do you know how much inventory you have? What about open sales orders or when the next supply shipment is coming in? Sin7's inventory management software will give you a real-time picture of everything you make and sell across systems, channels, and marketplaces. Ranked as the number one inventory management software by Forbes and U.S. News, Sin7 helps small CPG companies grow quickly and efficiently through intelligence, automation, and connection. With over 700 integrations to accounting tools like QuickBooks, shopping carts like Shopify, and marketplaces like Amazon, you'll have all the scale with zero complexity. Try out Sin7 core inventory management software for yourself with a 14-day free trial. Visit sin7.com slash startup CPG to learn more and start your free trial today. That's sin, C-I-N, and the number 7.com backslash startup CPG, or the link is in the show notes. You also mentioned food service a few moments ago. That has been really popular in our community, talking about food service. We've been learning about food service on the show. I'm curious if you can share a little bit about the food service strategy and what that looks like. Well, so far, it's really been dependent on our distributors. So we, we have some great food service accounts that we're, that our distributors go out and service. You know, We don't have a, an exclusive food service distributor yet, but we have seen, just as with Honesty, this product has a lot of appeal in the grab and go type of stores. So right now we're just dealing mostly with independence, but we certainly are starting to talk with larger chains that have an interest. And we think those that'd be a great vehicle because ultimately when it's when it's working, then your food service really becomes a form of sampling. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And for Honest Kids, which is still in so many food yeah. service areas. I've been seeing Honest Kids in more and more stores now. It's in and not just McDonald's, Wendy's, Subway and Chick-fil-A and Arby's, but also Sweet Green and Kava. Um, it's almost become like the default kids drink, which is really fun to see. Yeah, that's very cool. So yeah, lots of potential in the in the food service area, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about operations and, and scaling so quickly, you were able to get like initial samples and everything out really quickly and then to grow so quickly. Is that something that you strategically knew the right manufacturers to work with to say, yeah. okay, they're going to be able to scale with us quickly? Was there any challenges on on the manufacturing side scaling up? I'm curious about that side of it. Well, we've just got great partners, bottling plants and, you know, um, suppliers, both for the tea leaves and the glass. And we just said, look, guys, this is going to be a crazy year. We know we're going to go try to grow aggressively, but we don't know how much we're going to grow. And, and, you know, we sort of thought we'd get to around 11 and a half million in sales, which on the one hand, if you say, uh, I haven't sold any tea and, and I'm going to try to do 11 and a half million, that sounds like a lot. On the other hand, we, you know, getting to 16 is just unexpected. So they've had to be really nimble and we've done our best to give them as much forecasting as we can. But again, it's not always possible. But yeah, they've just been great partners. And of course, our team has been nimble too and able to, you know, I don't want to say call in favors, but, you know, I think 
when you grow this quickly, it, you do have partners who want to keep your business. And so they want to demonstrate, you know, that they are good partners. And, and so we don't take any of that for granted. It's really been a benefit to have them. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure for the tea growers that you partnered with, because those were such important relationships and there was a lot of concern or initially around them not having a place to sell their tea. And so on on that side, I assume that your tea growers were just ecstatic to grow really quickly and be able to continue their relationships. Well, especially with Honest Tea going away where they were like, what's going to happen here? We've made these investments in this whole kind of supply chain and with Honest Tea going away, what does the future look like? So this was really heartening for them them. And of course, I think we've talked about how Spike and I went to visit Tea Garden in Mozambique, which was just really powerful and inspiring to see what can happen on the ground. And and so, you know, we're actually still working. We're now raising money to help create a pathology clinic in Mozambique. And we're working with some local rotary clubs that will help fund it. Um, So it'll be our fair trade dollars plus local rotary clubs helping to fund because this part of uh, Mozambique where we source is one of the poorest provinces in one of the poorest countries in the world. So um, you've got malaria, typhoid, AIDS all happening here and and with the lack of access to clean water. So really being able to help this community address medical needs is, is just a critical thing. So we're really excited about that project. Yeah. Wow. That sounds really amazing. Did you have to find more tea farms? to work with? Because Just Ice Tea has a lot of different lines. Are we able to, for the most part, use existing relationships? Oh, no. I mean, yeah, we keep in mind with Honesty going away, there was a lot of capacity available. So we certainly went back to existing suppliers, but we also have been expanding. This community in Mozambique is a new supplier. We didn't work with them at Honesty. So it was exciting to see them come in. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Is there anything else that you found either the same or really different and surprising about being back in, in the beverage world? <laughs> well, it has been fun. I, I, I will say I'm impressed. I see some of our partners have gotten stronger and more capable. So for example, Big Geyser, you know, was, I would say, a really strong independent distributor in New York City. But now I'd say they really are, are the leading distributor in New York City. They've just upped their game. And whether it's the technology or the people or the culture, it's really great to see. And of course, we're so happy to be with them again. You know, it's interesting to see what's going on on pricing. I see some retailers taking more price on our product than is desirable. And then we haven't raised our price. So when I see them taking more price, that's frustrating. So one of the strategies to deal with that is just getting our product more widely distributed. You know, when you're only in a few stores and people want your product, the retailer can charge what they want. But hopefully when we can create a more competitive environment, that'll help keep things in line. And of course, we think we'll sell more tea if the tea is priced lower. Another way to take it, if someone's going to take price on our product, we should be benefiting from it. And if we're not raising the price, I don't want the retailer to be getting an inordinate margin doesn't seem fair to the consumer or fair to us. Right. Yeah. I'm also curious what you're seeing resonate with consumers on the flavor side. I can't remember which one of the channels that I social channels that I saw it on, but I think it was you walking through some of the honest tea flavors and then the new just iced tea flavors. It it was a really cool video. I'm wondering what you're seeing as far as what consumers are resonating with as far as flavor or herbal versus black tea, those kind of things. 
Well, it's funny. The top sellers for Honest Tea are still pretty much what's leading with just iced tea. Our peach oolong tea is our top seller, and that was a popular one with Honest Tea. You know, our honey green was popular with Honest Tea. That one is not as popular with just iced tea, but it, it may be the formulation. It needs a little tweaking. And then the herbals, which I love and, and many people love, actually still are kind of a, toward the lower side. So people really love them, but they're definitely not as popular as the caffeinated teas, the black tea and the green tea. Very interesting. I'm doing my part to make the herbals as popular as possible. Thank the, you, <laughs> the berry hibiscus, which is one of my favorite drinks of all time. I love it. I was telling Seth before we started recording, I buy it every chance that I see it. So I'm, I'm doing that. my part to make it popular. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My wife is too. It's so good. I want to shift to talk a little bit about the cosmic chews and yeah. also about the jerky. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about the decision to discontinue the jerky. What goes sure. into a decision like that? How yeah. do you think through like that? Because I think folks could gain some value from learning sure. how to make a hard decision like that. Well, and in fact, the decision got easier once we got back into the tea business. So we love the mushroom jerky product. I mean, Spike and I were driving up to New York just a few weeks ago, and we were sharing a bag of the salt and pepper mushroom jerky and just shaking our heads because it was so good. We're like, this is an amazing product, but it wasn't selling enough in the marketplace. The velocity, you know, we would sell anywhere between two to three pouches per skew per week. And that's just not enough to create a real business on. And so then we go and launch the tea and literally are selling 240 bottles per store per week. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's enough to make a business on. And so, you know, one way to describe it was we could have worked really hard to become a top, top two, top brand in the category. And it still wouldn't have been a viable business. And so I, I think I mentioned it in one blog is it, that would be like a, a long walk to a small house, like all that effort. And you still didn't make uh, enough revenue to really cover, you know, what you need to build an organization. And, and looking back, why didn't it work? I think mushrooms, which definitely went through a renaissance during the pandemic, kind of cooled the demand for mushrooms cooled off a bit. After the pandemic, I mean, we we love the product, we love the supplier, but people just aren't. Maybe mushrooms were a little polarizing, so people aren't aren't sort of excited about mushrooms. And so it was just a very small category that initially, I think our hope had been, well, we could grow the category, but even if we did, it still just didn't feel material enough. And right now, we sell even just what we're selling in tea, and we're only one brand, but we're our tea sales are larger than the entire category of plant based jerky in the natural channel. Mm. So for us, that was, it was a hard decision because we love the product and the, the mushroom jerky checked all the boxes around sustainability. It's a water efficient crop. It was organic. It's low energy product. It's low, you know, there's no waste because we're using the whole mushroom. There's a great supplier story, all the things we, and, and, and amazing for a chef to create a, a chef crafted product line because yeah, the flavors absorb the uh, marinade so well, the tea, mushrooms absorb the marinade so well. So all of those things were in its favor, but the dollar volume just wasn't compelling. So, you know, when we think about, do we want to spend money investing in you know, a demo in tea where we get, you know, literally we'll sell cases in a day versus mushroom jerky where we'll sell, if we're, if we're lucky, we'll sell a case a week. It just was a hard decision emotionally, but an easy decision from a business perspective. That makes sense. Yeah, that would be, it's just, a, it's the brand that you launched, you know, uh, eat the change with. So that makes right. sense. It'd be that kind of emotional connection. But then, yeah, when you line up the dollars and cents, it just, it just didn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's often the case 
that your first product is rarely the one that sort of leads you across the finish line that, that becomes your most successful. And whether you look at brands like Vitamin Water, another classic one is Happy Baby. I was on the board of Happy Baby and their first product line was a frozen baby food. And oh, obviously wow. it was the shift to pouches that was the big breakthrough for them. So you start in one place and you just have to keep iterating. You have to listen to the market, listen to the consumer. And if you're lucky, you you iterate towards a place that where you, you get that traction. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of iterations, I also want to talk about the the packaging iterations that you're making on Cosmic Chews. Yeah, I'm curious you, yeah. if you can share about the sure. decision to change the packaging and the, the thinking that goes into educating consumers and all of that. And that's really exciting because we just got our first picture today of the new package on the shelf. Nice. We launched the carrot chews. We are big believers in them. I mean, everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone who tastes them says, wow, this is a really tasty product. And I understand yeah. why, it, why it's a needed product because kids aren't eating enough vegetables. And so here's a snack that I can put in my kid's lunchbox that has the nutrients, has the vitamin A, has the fiber of carrots and is much healthier compared to, you know, what are called fruit chews where there's really no fruit. Yeah. <laughs> no fruit. <laughs> So we weren't about the sales again, the velocity wasn't great. And so we had to look at it and say, well, as it's currently configured, this is not compelling enough. And in fact, the, the carrot juice did get discontinued from Sprouts because the velocity wasn't good enough. And it was hard to blame them. We just said, yeah, we've got to do better. And what we felt was that we needed to do a better job on the package explaining what the product is. And the carrots on their own, and we heard this from buyers too, and, and I'm really grateful that the Whole Foods buyer you know, said, look, we, we still think this has merit. We're not ready to give up on it, but we want you to redo the packaging and put more emphasis on the fun part. You know, these are fun snacks. And so we did. We, we made it look much more, I don't know, it's kind of a fun, kind of retro, almost like gumball type of treatment, big language. And, and then on the front of the package, we had language that says, this is more than a fruit chew because it isn't a fruit chew. It's, it's more than, and, and on the back, it says it's carrots and it explains what it is. But we also toned down the carrot imagery on the front because I thought that was probably a little not attractive, especially to the younger consumer. So we tried to just make it fun and inviting on the front and then explain on the back why it is useful. And hopefully this is replicating the success of Honest Kids where the goal is to make it attractive enough to the kid, but compelling to the parent who ultimately is the shopper in this equation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. The chews are really so interesting. So getting to try them, I was like, this tastes better than a so-called, like you said, a so-called fruit chew. Yeah. But it's actually good for you and is made from carrots somehow. My mind was just blown for a while because they're so interesting. So I'm really excited for this packaging update and to see how consumers connect with it. I hope our listeners get to try the chews themselves because they're just they're really good and it's such a unique cool product so I'm yeah. really excited to see what's next. Well, I hope others feel the same way. For these changes and then the growth with Just Ice Tea, I, you also recently raised $14 million. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about raising money and what you'll be using the, the money from the raise for. Sure. Yeah, we've grown quickly. We're happy about that and gratified by the response. And we see an opportunity to grow, you know, I'd say continue accelerating that growth, but it takes resources to do that. And so we, you know, talked with our investors, or really mostly our existing investors. I mean, I've, over the year, I was approached by some folks who wanted to invest if, if we ever did raise more money, but primarily our existing investors said, you know, we think you're onto something here. Let's accelerate. 
And so we decided it made sense, especially because you know, we haven't talked about it, but we're launching a can line, which is a, a new product line that'll be hitting the stores really, I guess, early next year. And that's going to take resources too. And so we had our existing investors put forth funds to expand the business further. And so we'd love to be able to keep the kind of growth rate we have happening this year. I'd say for us next year is about getting broader distribution beyond the natural channel, I'm certainly continuing to grow the natural channel, but really expanding beyond that as well. And then of course, really expanding the can line and seeing that launch. We think the can line has great potential as a take-home package that glass bottles are often consumed in store or in restaurant, the cans we'll be putting in multi-packs that people can take home. Mm, yeah, I was going to ask. I'm super curious about more on the the canned line. Did that come from consumer feedback to do multi-packs or how did that, that originate? Well, so at Honest Tea, we had a plastic bottle, which we decided did not make sense for our brand, given our you know commitment to environmental planet-friendly food. And so we wanted to find another way for people to have the product where, in places where glass wasn't welcome, but also as a way to democratize the product, uh, the, the can package will be priced lower than the glass bottle. The glass bottle is that premium product and the cans can be a lower price product and hopefully expand the reach and audience. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And have retailers been excited about the the idea as well? Yeah, we've gotten a great response from retailers. We showed this product at Expo East and um, really got a, a nice feedback on it. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, very excited to see see that out in the market. And you said that'll be launching next year? Yeah, we're doing a pilot run this month and that'll, you know, we'll be sending out samples and that kind of thing. You know, you'll start to see it on shelves uh, effectively really next year. Yeah. Awesome. I also wanted to make sure to chat a little bit about the fact that we just passed the 10 year anniversary of Mission in a Bottle, a book that's connected with so many people. And so I just I don't know, I wanted to give you the chance to if there was any stories from the book that have been resonating with you lately from the past or any stories that people bring up to you all the time from the book. I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate that 10 year anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, it's and and, you know, uh, just to share that it is a comic book. So it makes it a fun read. And I still have, a, I literally have a copy on my desk. I, I often will turn to it just when I'm like, all right, wait, where was Honest Tea at this point? And for example, how many employees did, you know, I learned when Honest Tea was uh, at 23 million in sales, it had 52 employees. So, all right, well, that we're, we're obviously much more efficient now. We're on that pace, but we have a much leaner headcount. That's a good data point. The other one that is funny now is the pricing. I mean, our glass bottles are literally twice as expensive today as they were when the book was written. Um, So, you know, that just shows you how the the world has changed that way. And so much of the book is still relevant and and it's fun, whether I go to a conference or on LinkedIn, someone will reach out and say, I've just read the book and I thank you so much for, you know, most cost-effective education I've I've received about this industry. (laughs) Yeah, so it's been fun to have it out there. And it is, especially now where people are asking, will reach out to me and ask for advice. And I just, I am locked in on building this business. So I don't have the ability to sit with everybody, but I can point them toward the book, which does contain all the advice and lessons we wanted to share. Uh, And it's basically acts as as a proxy for 
someone speaking with me, which is, yeah. is good for them and, and good for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And I'm curious for you, just as a leader, we talked about growing really quickly. And is there anything else from a leadership perspective that you've been thinking about lately or any insights for brands that are experiencing quick growth? Anything that really comes to mind just from a leadership perspective that you've found really important recently? Sure. I mean, the one I shared with our team today is like, this is a crazy world. There's all this tension, all this haterade out there that's just, and, and then we have employees that going through health challenges. And I like, so we really lean into providing mental health support and counseling. And part of it is it's available in our benefits package, which is great. But even for employees who aren't on our benefits package, I said, I just, we've got to support our employees all the way around. And of course, we're in this different universe than at the time we're honesty, where people always came to the office, you know, people are now working from home and in different conditions. And so for the most part, that's a useful thing. But when you let work into your home, then we also have to let accept their lives coming into work. And so mm -hmm. what that means is I can't expect someone just to be a, a good and focused employee from nine to five. They're, they're probably working more than those hours, but they're also going through all types of stuff that doesn't get checked at the door when they start working because they're not coming in the door. And so we've got to support our employees in all of who they are and all that they're going through. And so for us, that was a really important step to take. And I think that is, that's kind of the way the world is evolving because a lot of people don't have, you know, social family networks to fall back on, or, I mean, it's great when they do, or, you know, church or religious communities they can lean on. And so we've got to help at least offer to support them in all the things going on in life. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I was joining a call for something the other day. I don't even know that it was work-related, but the person starting the call was just saying, we're all joining these things remotely. Sometimes we're at home, sometimes we're at the office. And it's just important to mark the connections in communities, even if it's just a conference call with five other people. Let's just mark that we're all here in this together. And I thought that was a really important note in challenging times. And so hearing that you're thinking about that as a leader is is really cool. Also curious, how are you prioritizing these days with so much growth, with people being so excited? How do you prioritize? Do you have any tips for entrepreneurs on what they should focus on when so many people are telling you what to focus on or trying to pull on your attention? How do you how do you focus and decide what's what's my next step? Certainly, there's always a dynamic. It's always shifting based on the needs of the business. So, you know, the, I always talk about there's three core tasks every entrepreneur has. And the first is to create and communicate that vision about what you're trying to build, right? And, and hopefully instill it in others and make them effective messengers. The second is to hire the people to execute that vision and, and to hire and manage them. So put them in the best position that fits their talents, skills, and ambitions. And then the third is to make sure they have the resources to execute that. So often, but not always, often that means raising capital. You know, you've got to make sure they have the money. You can't, if you have a great team, but you have a great vision, but you don't have the money to execute it, then that's not productive. So those are certainly the three core tasks. Once you do that, then I try to model the behavior I want to show. So as I said, I was in the market this week, going up and down the street with our distributor, trying to build sales because sales is is the imperative for our, our business. It's, it is our lifeblood. We have to be selling tea. And so if I have time, I'm going to get out in the street, go to door to door with the distributor, and I'll learn about the trade. I'll learn about how our brand is received and how our reaction to the product, the taste, the packaging, all those things. Um, so that's active active listening by, by selling. 
And then one thing we do as a company just is, as we get toward the end of the year, is annual reviews with the people who are on direct reports. And so I want to be as productive and thoughtful as I can in helping to you know, give feedback on their performance, understand what they're, where I can help them. And hopefully, you know, use those use those reviews to both give an example of how to give feedback to employees, but also certainly learn and listen as well how I can do a better job. Yeah, that's very helpful to hear. And I appreciate the thoughtfulness you put into modeling behavior and just being out in the market. I think I saw a recent post where you visited like 30 stores or something. You're out there on the ground too, connecting with consumers. And I really love that. It's fun to do that. And it's it is if you can really I mean, it's tiring. It's hard work. So do it every day, but being able to do that just helps make sure we understand what's going on. And I've certainly seen people who they won't know, you know, what their retail price is, or they don't know who they're being merchandised next to, or, you know, they won't have spotted a new competitor. We may not always win, but it's not going to be because it's not going to be because somebody surprised me like, uh, you know, I missed out on what was happening in the marketplace. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there any other final thoughts you wanted to leave us with or any other things coming up that we didn't cover. I, I it's been so great to just hear an update on everything and to hear some of your learnings from the the past year plus. And so I just wanted to give you a chance if there's anything else you wanted to share today that we didn't cover. You know, I guess as you get towards the end of the year here, I just sort of salute and hats off to everyone building an enterprise. It's it is. It's a it's a hard environment, you know, and and these big distributors, you know, the big warehouse distributors are it's tough to make money with these guys, especially in that first year. We'll check in a year from now and I'll tell you how it goes in the second year. But I, you know, don't get discouraged by that. I mean, I do think it can't be a pushover. You've got to make sure you take a stance on things, but you've got to just be super, super careful these days around margins because it's so easy. You can lose money so many different ways. So really important to just be mindful of that. And, you know, you've got to find ways to sell that don't always involve discounting. Yes. Those are some great notes to end on. And I encourage everyone, if they haven't already, go to eatthechange.com. There's a store locator to find products near you if you want to try the teas, if you want to try the chews. And then I'll make sure that Seth's LinkedIn is in the show notes so you can follow because Seth, you share some great insights and wisdom on LinkedIn as well. So yeah, I hope everyone follows and checks out the products. This has just been so great to have you back on the show. So thank you so much for sharing with us today, Seth. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. I enjoyed it. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can say thank you is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We seriously appreciate it so much and it helps new people find the show. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn or you can reach out anytime to podcast at startupcbg.com with your feedback, ideas, or just to say hi. Special thanks to our podcast assistant, Stephanie Roberts. Also, be sure to check out more free resources from Startup CPG, our Slack community, webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, virtual and in-person events, and more, all available at startupcpg.com. Our intro and outro music for today's episode is by the Super Fantastics, the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf, which you can find on Spotify for more great tunes. On behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you so much for being here and see you next week.